I was once dead in my trespasses. I had no spiritual life in me. I did not have any inclination towards God the Father. I had no ability to obey Him, nor did I have any desire. But God, in His grace, cut and severed finally the cause of bondage to my sin. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of A Prayer to Live By from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. There, Paul the Apostle thanks and prays for the Ephesian Christians, explaining that they are rich in every spiritual blessing their Father God lavished on them in Jesus Christ. How does Paul pray for believers already endowed with such a treasury of an inheritance in Christ? And what does Paul request from the Father of glory for those that already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus? Questions to keep in mind as we listen to part two of Pastor Paul's six-part series, A Prayer to Live By. He is a self-exalting God, and we should love that fact because if he were not, he wouldn't be God. And if you don't keep the giver in view, but only look at the gift, you start to change the gift. And you start to believe that the end goal of the gospel is your good and not God's glory. And what that leads to is the type of consumerism that we see so prevalent in the church in the West today. It has seeped in from society, but it is so often helped and encouraged by Christians who refuse to meditate on God and look only to his gift. Paul's prayer to begin with is that you would better apprehend God himself. And with that in view, he then moves on to the gift. He says, verse 18, having had the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that's a better understanding of the grammar of that phrase. Paul is not praying that your eyes would be enlightened. They have been opened by the gospel Verse 18, having had the eyes of your hearts enlightened, with that being a reality, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So he prays there three things for the Ephesians, but again, I want to labor that all of them derive from the original first petition. The first petition, I want you to know God, praying for you that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation as it relates to God in order that you may know these three things. Your better, more fuller apprehension of the gospel comes from your better, more fuller apprehension of God. Now, what are the specifics of the gifts that Paul outlines? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, they are the truths that he has already given to us in the eulogy. Paul has already been hinting at this. He has already been hinting that his prayer is headed towards an articulation of the blessings that he's already outlined. So look at the fact that in verse 17, he introduces God in his prayer as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has options when he prays and especially when he writes so as to record his prayer. Why does he record in this instance God as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ? He's making plain this connection between the Father and the Son, I think, because one of his points of emphasis in the eulogy, as you know, is that all of this comes by virtue of our being in Christ. We are in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him, all the way through verses 3 through 14. And now he's saying, remember, you are in Christ who is in relationship with God the Father. And then notice he calls him the father of glory. Isn't that interesting? Why would Paul in this prayer in particular call God the father of glory? Again, it is because in the eulogy, he has been pointing us toward God's glory as the end of all things. The end for which God created the world is his glory. That's why you're saved. So remember, I am praying right now to the father of glory. And with those subtle hints that he's about to launch into a re-articulation of the eulogy, he then does so. He says, verse 18, that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. There's the first petition that flows out of our knowledge of God himself. Well, Paul has already spoken about the reality of our calling in verses 3 and 4 and 5. In the eulogy, he says, you have been chosen, predestined, elected, called. And now, as you better apprehend the giver, so you will further see the hope of this calling. Here, Paul is pointing back to past Christian experience at the point of you coming into a relationship with God the Father. And he says, I just want you to know more about that. I want you to know more intimately, to treasure more sincerely the reality of your calling into salvation. And within the economy of the prayer, I want you to know about that calling as it relates to God the Father. It is not the case that as a Christian, you should only be able to articulate how you became a Christian. To give your testimony should not be simply that you can explain the circumstances that led to you being a Christian today. But so much more that you would be able to say what it means that you're a Christian. I was once dead in my trespasses. I had no spiritual life in me. I did not have any inclination towards God the Father. I had no ability to obey Him, nor did I have any desire. But God in His grace cut and severed finally the cause of bondage to my sin. He did away with them ultimately so that I no longer have a desire for that sin. And he freed me so as to get up and walk out of the dungeon cell is the truth that we sing. 
God the Father from before the foundation of the world did that in my life. He predestined that that would be a reality of which I can speak today. God the Father accomplished it by sending his only son to die on the cross. And when I sing about the cross on a Sunday morning, I am proclaiming the victory that Christ won for me. This is how your calling relates to God the Father. And Paul's desire is that you would know it. Not that it would be a mere set of data that you articulate in your testimony saying, this was the circumstances that led to me being a Christian. But oh, that you would have the theology that undergirds it. That you would have and treasure the theology that is true in the gospel and in your life today. He then moves on to the second petition that flows out from a knowledge of God the Father. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, Paul has spoken about these very realities. Remember back in verse 11, we read of how in him we are rendered an inheritance. God has rendered us as his inheritance. Paul gave us that truth in his eulogy, and now all he does in his prayer is ask that we would know it, that we would apprehend it and embrace it, and specifically that we would apprehend and embrace this truth as it relates to God the Father, that we would not as Christians be satisfied to merely know In a mental sense, I have a glorious hope one day. Paul is here pointing to the future reality for the Christian, but at a heart level, we would be living every day with an excitement for the glory that is to come. At a heart level, there would be a genuine excitement for the return of the risen Lord Jesus. Because I have meditated upon that truth and especially as it relates to God the Father who destined me to be there on that final day. We sung of it this morning just so wonderfully. Where will I be when the first trumpet sounds, when it sounds so loud? Where will I be on that day? And the Christian rejoices because he says, I will be in glory and I will be counted as God's inheritance. Because God is a self-exalting God and he will get glory on the last day. If you look around you now, you might be discouraged to think, I cannot see how God is getting glory for himself in this dark world. Be encouraged. He is working out everything in accordance with his plan such that on the last day, he will not lose one ounce of glory, but all of it will be rendered unto him. And a very large slice of that glory will come from the fact that you will be counted as his inheritance. You see, God will be glorified through everything that he has ordained. God will get glory for himself through judgment. God will be glorified through the judgment of sinners. But even more, an even higher manifestation of God's glory will come through your final salvation. 
more glory will come through salvation because of how he worked in the gospel to bring you from a place of utter darkness to a place of final glory. And so the heavenly hosts will sing about you on that last day as God's inheritance. And Paul says, this is true of you. My prayer is that you would know it. And the third thing that flows from our knowledge of God is that we would also know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. It's a very convoluted sentence. There's lots of words there that hover around the concept of strength. They are not synonyms. But they each have a slightly different meaning. And as you try and pick apart this sentence, Calvin offers us a very helpful illustration where he talks about God's might, that last word in verse 19 being the root. God has a, an almighty might that then gives rise to this, this greatness that could easily have been translated strong, his strong might, the might gives virtue to this, this strength, which would be the trunk of the tree, says Calvin. And then that comes to us through the branches and the leaves and the fruit by virtue of this word power. So God's might yields a strength that is experienced by us as power that is coming forth every day, hour by hour. That's the notion of what Paul is communicating here. So if we zoom back, what we can see Paul has done in just two verses is he has spanned from the past experience of having been called to the future experience of an inheritance to now the present day where we are empowered. In two verses, he's put his arms around the entirety of the Christian life. And this central thought is perhaps the most prominent in Paul's understanding, at least as it relates to his reason for praying, because it's upon this central thought, the present day reality of the Christian, that he expands to talk about Christ and the power that we witness through him, which is what we'll look at next week. For now, it is enough to say that your responsibility is to know at a heart level the power that is yours in the gospel through Christ. Paul wants you to know that God empowers the Christian day after day, hour by hour, so as to live a life that honors him. He does not leave you with insufficient resources to walk the life that he has called you to. That is not what God is doing. Because God is so for you, he is for your good. He doesn't set you up for failure. Know this, God does not set the Christian up for failure. God is so for your good that he empowers you both in your circumstances and in your perception of them. God is working through the Holy Spirit such that you are able now to respond to each and every day in a way that brings glory to God. 
He equips you by his Holy Spirit through his word so as to live a life that does not dishonor him. He empowers you every day to bring glory to him. And Paul says, you're not lacking. He hasn't left you without the resources. I just want for you to know it. You see, this is the whole prayer. After the eulogy, he has said, you, you have everything. What's left? What do you pray for someone that has everything? Answer that they would know it. And Paul's prayer is that you would know it so that you thought about the, the who praying for the, the spiritually flourishing. You are never, ever exempt from this prayer. We thought about the what. I want you to know God and his gospel. I want you to know more of the gift and the giver. Why does he pray? Folding this prayer into the broader context, the reason Paul prays is again in order that you would bless God. Or looking forward to chapter four, he prays so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's his desire. He is not praying for the things that you and I so usually pray about. I've been so challenged myself personally this week by this prayer. I'm often asked, how can I pray for you? I'm so grateful for the prayers of the saints, especially for you and your prayers. And so often folks will ask me on a Sunday or during the week, how can I pray for you? And I just, I was so challenged this week. To think about my standard response. And I normally say something to the effect of, would you just pray that God would, would cause me to do well in my responsibilities that he has set before me. I'm trying to spin these plates and not let them drop and just pray that I would do well in my responsibilities as a pastor and a professor and a husband, a father. And I don't think that request is wrong. But the challenge was to think, when was the last time that I answered that question and said, would you just pray that I would know God better? Would you pray that I would know better the riches of the gospel? This is a prayer for life for every believer. So that not your circumstances would change. You see, there are so many challenges as we truly come to terms with this scriptural prayer. Other prayers we might pray, would you pray this changes in my life, or this changes, or God brings about this. We're praying for a change in circumstance, which again, in and of itself, is not necessarily wrong. But oh, that we would pray that our hearts would change. Not primarily our circumstances, but our response to our circumstances. Pray that I would know God more and his gospel so that in the circumstances in which he has placed me, I would honor him better. That is the prayer of Ephesians 1. Drawing from the immediate context of verse 15, think about this prayer in relation to this church. Contrary to our individualistic form of Christianity, what Paul gives us through the eulogy and in the prayer is a very corporate form of Christianity. That is to say, a biblical Christianity. 
all of the plural pronouns in the eulogy testify that this was to be received as a congregation and worked out as a congregation. So also for us, we receive this prayer not primarily thinking about it as ourselves separate from one another, but Paul says, you Ephesians have a reputation for steadfastness in your faith, a consistency concerning the things of the Lord, and you have a reputation for your love towards the saints. Would it not be Paul's prayer as he asked that they would know more of God and his gospel, that those two things increase yet more? He wants them to keep doing good things as a church. Think about the appropriation of this prayer to the life of this church. That you would ask one another to pray for each other, that you would know God more and his gospel. Why? So that you would be a better church member. I want to know more of God and his gospel so that I would be found faithful as a member of Bethany Bible Church. I want to know more of God and his gospel so that I would love better the saints with whom I've been brought into fellowship at this local church. This is where God has you. Praise him. Now you need to honor him in this context. And that what that means is a steadfastness towards all things of the Lord, the ministry of this church. I can count on this person because I know they'll be there. I can count on this person because they always show up. They are steadfast in the Lord. And I know how much this person loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. Imagine the outworking of this prayer if we would pray it for one another consistently. That God would so work in our hearts such that the love that already exists in this place only abounds yet more and more and more. I pray that we would be known even more for our steadfastness in the Lord and our love towards all the saints as a result of our knowledge of God and of his gospel. Let's pray right now to that end. Father God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Having had the eyes of our hearts enlightened, I pray that we would know what is the hope to which you have called us, that we would know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your great might. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. In his message today, Pastor Paul encourages us to know that God does not set the Christian up for failure. God is so for the believer's good that he empowers his believers both in their circumstances and in their perception of them. The Father of Glory equips His believers by His Holy Spirit through His Word to live a life that does not dishonor Him, but brings glory to Him in all circumstances. His believers are just like the Christians in Ephesus. They now have everything they need to bring glory to God at all times of their lives. 
And for this reason, Pastor Paul encourages us to pray for ourselves and others in the same way that the Apostle Paul prays here in Ephesians chapter 1, that our hearts would change, not primarily that our circumstances would change, and that we would know God and His gospel better, that wherever He has placed us, we would honor Him. This is the Apostle Paul's prayer of Ephesians 1, and that should be our prayer for today. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you'd like to hear this program again or other series you may have missed, go to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org, select broadcasts for our entire archive of Pastor Paul's teachings. If you don't have a local church to attend, this is your personal invitation to come worship with us at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Tomorrow, it's part three in our new series, A Prayer to Live By. I hope you can join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.